My name's Emily and I'm volunteering for the Mental Health Foundation for the Reclaim Our Heritage project. Uh, thanks for joining me today and we're having a chat today to preserve your own memories of the mental health and arts community in Scotland. Uh, the discussion is being recorded, you can see at the top there it's got a little red dot so we're already on record. Um, and you'll have a chance to listen back to the recording, make edits and approve the final version before it's been transcribed. We can stop the interview at any time if you feel the need to. This can be uh, for any reason, however you're entitled to not give a reason. Um, and that includes muting and pausing your video um, if, if you need to. Uh, I'll be asking the questions and as the interview is about you and your memories, uh, I'll be as silent as possible during your answers, but I am still listening. And um, can I just ask, have you had the opportunity to read the information sheet and sign the consent form and recording agreement? Not yet. <laughs> okay. Do you want a little uh, minute there to read over the information sheet? No, I trust you. Are you sure? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've done these things before. That's fine. Okay. So hopefully, um, just to kind of ease us in, um, can you tell me your name, the year you were born and where you grew up, please? Sure. Uh, I'm Jane Bentley, born in 1973 and grew up in the southeast of England. Okay. Um, and what is your professional and working background? Um, so I'm a community musician um, and studied in community arts and then went on to do a research degree in musical interaction. And so I think my work background prior to working in mental health had mostly been running workshops, particularly kind of drumming and percussion and participative music workshops. So my interest has always been in getting people together um, to share music together rather than just perform at them or or even to put on performances. It's much more for me about the act of people spending time with each other and kind of mutually relating to each other. Um, and so what was your first role with that combined mental health and arts um, in general or music more specifically? Yeah. That was your first role. Um... Oh, it's hard. I think my very first one might have been a placement um, with a group called Rehab Scotland. Um, and that would have been back in 2001, probably. Um, and it was the first time I'd worked with these kind of groups and really enjoyed it. I really um, enjoyed the kind of depth of the interaction and how open people were. Um, and it was really interesting to me to see how much more people said about how it made a difference to them. Um, to, for example, participants in a regular workshop were like, oh, that's very nice. And actually, um, a lot of the folk that I was working with were like, oh man, you know, this is a, this has really changed stuff for me and this has been really, um, it's been a good thing. So that was, yeah, it was like, it was like a six week placement. Um, but I think that gave me a, a taste for working in this kind of field. And what was it that Rehab Scotland uh, did? What was the organisation for? Um, they, they, it was quite a broad remit. Um, there was a lot of kind of um, things for people with ongoing conditions. Um, there was some kind of neurological, like actual rehab stuff. Um, but I think they used it in the very broad sense of the word. Um, so quite a bit of employability stuff. Um, confidence building you know it was based in the community um and people would would come out to again kind of courses of a number of duration um 
Nice. And um, how was it that you ended up getting involved in that? Um, that was, it was a university placement. So I guess one of the tutors had kind of, because a lot of people were sent out to schools or to do, and that was kind of what I was expecting. Um, and I think this for them, they saw as a more challenging placement. And so I think it was, it was them that, that said, this is where you're going. They kind of chose it for me. Um, so it was a surprise to me because um, I hadn't specifically thought a lot about working in that area before then. So you're kind of thrown in at the deep end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what sort of activities did you do within your role within Rehab Scotland? Um, mostly there's a lot of drumming workshops, some broad. I, I did, a, it was a community arts degree, so you do a bit of art, music, dance and drama. So we actually, at that point, I thought I was going to do more visual art and then ended up doing more music. So I did a bit of both, I think, in that placement, um, some art stuff and then some music and some drumming workshops. Okay. And was it uh, drumming that you had uh, kind of specialised in within your degree as well? Or was it that placement that kind of drew you toward it? Um, I think that the drumming was kind of already a parallel track. And actually, there's a whole other sort of training path that I went on at the same time as the degree um and um yeah so, so it almost feels like uh, yeah they, they happened together kind of in parallel um and I was yeah I'd been enthusiastic for quite a number of years um mm. before that and and I think there was an inkling that that would be the the path that I would take mostly and so for your six weeks there, did you have something specific that you wanted to achieve or was it mainly as it was a placement, it was go and experience this? Or? Yeah, I think as a student, it was experiential and they were very good at allowing space to experiment, space not to get it right. Um, some very good mentors there. Um, and so... Yeah, I was trying not to be too instrumental in terms of like, this is going to make this change in the group. And uh, it was more just it was as an offering um, and to see whether and, and at that point, um, not many people had tried drumming, really. You know, so this is 20 years ago now um, and it wasn't as widespread and it was more unusual. And um so there wouldn't, yeah, it wasn't necessarily people nat naturally running towards it. So it was a bit of a curiosity for a lot of people, I think. Um, and so from that role, did what was it that you moved on to after that, that was still within the arts and mental health area? Yeah, I think actually more or less, it's probably about 2003. Um, a friend of mine who's a music therapist working at Dyke Bar Hospital, um, she she was a newly qualified music therapist and at that point as well in music therapy a lot of the narrative was that it wasn't necessarily about music as an activity but it was you know it was a very psychotherapeutic approach it was um intended to be very one-to-one -one. and because she was newly qualified she felt like she had to stick to all of those parameters she'd been given um to try and you know make it feel like a legitimate profession but she kept being asked by staff to do group music workshops um, and she kept saying no that's outside of my remit I can't do it I can't do it and eventually she knew I'd started going down this path um, and so she invited me to come in and do a couple of sessions at the hospital um, to do this group thing because she knew I did group drumming workshops um, so that was probably that was my first experience 
you know, as a proper kind of provider rather than just a student or somebody trying stuff out. This was me going in, um, you know, with a bunch of drums and as somebody who would engage people in mm. arts activities. Um, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Um, I was just about to say there. So you said uh, that she knew that you'd already been doing that as in uh, group uh, work yes. together. So yeah. was it the group work that you had done prior to that um, and in between the time that you'd obviously been at university and was that 2003? Yeah. What kind of groups was that you're working, you were working with? Um, outside, but a lot of loads of stuff in schools um, some stuff with just adult community groups um, more generally, you know, people who might be interested to try drumming. Um, church groups you know all these yeah just just very more, much more general community groups um and so the music therapy at the time was you were saying there it was kind of going along a line of one-to-one -one, yeah. whereas you had come at it from a community perspective yes yeah and so was that why it was more of a group activity then for you yes yeah and so it's, I think it's a very different skill set as well um learning how to you know run and manage and kind of negotiate with a group um compared to one-to-one -to -one. and i think my friend recognized that um and so it was for this you know particularly for these group skills i think that that she'd made the invitation um mm. and asked and i think it would be interesting to see where the request was coming i think because she was um sort of stationed within the ot department um and i think they were the people making the requests for group stuff because I think you know at that point they could probably see a potential benefit for that um but I think it was still very unusual at that point to go in and be doing stuff in a hospital you know that wasn't psychotherapy or something you know with a massive therapy label on it um that was just you know uh, this wasn't advertised as therapy this was arts activity it was a drumming workshop and a music workshop and so uh at the that time do you feel that it was that obviously you're saying there that if uh, people were being invited into the hospital it had to have like a kind of a therapy label on it do you feel it was a bit stricter in the sense of the lines that they wanted to go down with the different types of therapy and has... um, I think so I think there was a lot less recognition of the art of the therapeutic potential of the arts in general um, and I also think you know arts in hospital doesn't always have to be therapy it can just be arts and arts practice um that wasn't even <laughs> um there then so i think um in terms of being yeah i think so what happened was you know i went in and did these couple of first workshops and then the woman who you should definitely try and interview as part of this called jeanette allen um she was part of setting up scottish mental health arts and film festival in paisley in renfrewshire um, so she was the lead occupational therapist at the time and she was present in the workshop and she just got it like she really understood and got it and was like I see how this is working I see how this is affecting people and so I think it's largely responsible to her having the courage because um, after that she kept kind of finding little pots of money to to bring in more workshops and but it was all kind of under the radar it wasn't something she could have asked for officially or got you know, official, the go ahead from within the NHS. Um, it very much was under the radar for the first few years. Um, and, and it increased year by year. And it was almost like at that point you had to kind of start spreading rumors about this activity or let people tell the stories themselves. And it has to kind of creep up from the grassroots rather than be this kind of, 
yeah strategic initiative or something um and so year year by year it expanded and began to prove itself and um become much more accepted and people could see the reasons why because there was quite a bit of resistance um from a lot of people at the start um that it might be disruptive that what's the point you know all of these kind of things so what's the point in the sense that they couldn't see a kind of yeah. medical yeah final point uh, okay yeah and well, how sorry um it was like or it'll get too rowdy and noisy or you know it'll unleash something or um all of these kind of things and why do you think they were apprehensive about getting it rowdy or noisy or unleashing something um i suppose i mean it's it's an understandable care for people who are still in hospital and um and and I, I totally understand the need for being able to trust the practitioner not to do that because I think there can be lots of examples of really irresponsible practice and um, there's other you know folk who've told stories oh I just went in and I said just get your all your emotions out on the drums and then suddenly there's all kinds of stuff happening and um, so I think there there is I think I was very lucky to be brought in and kind of embraced and taken seriously. Um, but I also think I really understand the need for some kind of standards or care about, you know, who it is that's coming in and working with people who could be in quite a vulnerable place at that stage um, and being responsible about that. Mm. Um, so I think a lot, a lot of that resistance was, you know, do you even know what you're doing? Um, yeah. Is this, is this a risk for our patients? Um, yeah. And how do we kind of manage that? Okay, that makes sense. And so, so what activities was it that you were doing when you uh, went in in two thousand and three with the the group at Dyke Bar Hospital? Yeah, um, I the first time I went in, um, I have a lot of quite large drums, um, and so partly it was um, just a, a workshop in terms of how to, how to play it, how to play together, learning some rhythm patterns. Um, occasionally getting other people to conduct the group um that's changed a lot over the years and i've become a lot more specialized in the kind of practice i do that it is very much about social relating and um extending yourself to other people so there's, there's much more intentionality about it now and i think at the beginning it was much much more about just drumming as an activity um and what were some of your, if you've got any kind of favourite memories or memories that jump out to yeah. you about that time, as well as uh, during your placement? If Yeah. Um, well, I think, I mean, there's so many stories and instances of people behaving radically differently in the workshop than they had at other times. And I think, I think it was the first workshop I ever did. Um, they brought in a very elderly man um, who had dementia and he was all kind of hunched over in his chair, not moving. Um, and as the music went on, just a little finger started moving, then a hand um, and then two hands. And I saw this and um, I thought, wow, he's coming to light. And I gave him a couple of drumsticks. And then all of a sudden he kind of opened up and then started busting out these incredible drum solos. And we had this really good exchange of, you know, I'll play, you play really complex, really artic, you know, as a musician, I could see he had loads and loads of skill. Um, and he, you know, by the end of the workshop, he was all bright and 
and engaged and um as folks were were leaving one of the nurses said like he hasn't spoken to anyone for six years um and that from i think from that point on i was just hooked about and i think with a lot of arts it can circumvent or it can go around the outside of you know traditional pathways of talking and responding and there's so much that can happen non-verbally or that will just reach a different part of ourselves and allow for that opening to happen um and i think you know when that first happened i was like oh my god it's a miracle <laughs> and now um now i have you know i'm so used to it now um and these changes happening but i actually do wish i'd written down more stories like that mm. um but i haven't um, <laughs> And um, and it also it made me very interested in dementia as well as a you know the mental health and the brain health thing, um, and just what what I suppose working from the capacity of like what skills do people have what can people do rather than what can't people do what's still there that that we can engage with and be creative with together um, you know wherever somebody's at in their journey. And what, um, how did you feel that it impacted like your own mental health, if it did at all, did it? Mm. Uh, there was, I mean, over these, this has been quite a number of years now. And I think probably, yeah, it must have been about 10 years into doing this kind of work. Um, I was doing a lot more work in hospital and I realised actually, um, I'm, I'm both a freelancer and I still have a bit of employment with the NHS. And I realised I was going you know, morning and afternoon, five days a week to groups with really, really deep and intense need. And there wasn't a lot of light and shade in what I was doing. It was all these very quite intensive groups. Um, and actually it had taken its toll on me a bit. And, and I had reached this kind of slump where I didn't feel I had anything much more to, to give or I wasn't being as fully present as I would like to in the workshop. So I think I definitely overdid it. Um, and I think um sometimes there can be yeah a big sense of grief that can happen when you're you know trying to hold space with people and um, be present to a lot of people's pain and suffering and um and then for me maybe not quite knowing where to put that or yeah how to deal with that um uh, yeah and i suppose my journey since then has been really in finding that balance um and not feeling like I have to be right at the coal face all the time. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my kind of mental health journey through yeah. that. But it's also given me intense joy and happiness and hilarity and, you know, friendship and, you know, yeah, incredible experiences that I would never have had otherwise as well. Is there anything that, um, from working within mental health and arts that when you are feeling a bit like that yourself that you kind of go away and express yourself within any art form that kind of feels like a release for you or is it too closely tied in ah, interesting. Um, um i think hmm it can go both ways so particularly in drumming Sometimes if I end up in the evening with some friends and we're all drumming, sometimes I am a bit drummed out and I'm just like, oh, yeah, this feels like work. Um, or yeah, I use the ukulele now as well. And then at other times it, it is the medicine and it does do the trick. And um, I think the thing that I've kind of kept that's personal to just me would actually be much more on the arts and crafts side. Because um, I think I nearly went down that route at the start and then didn't, music became the, the thing. Um, and so the arts, crafts, making things has become much more of a, 
personal practice mm. for me and so that's a real treat when I'm able to engage in that and that feels so therapeutic and nourishing and um and ha having the, the ability to do that yeah that makes sense and so when you first started and uh, obviously with your placement and then again in 2003 going into the hospitals uh what how was mental health viewed even in the wider sphere of maybe mm -hmm. people that you spoke out with hospitals as well as within hospitals yeah um i think still lots and lots of stigma at that point i mean it feels really as if it's only about the past five years that that's started to shift a bit so actually i think it was very very stigmatized and people felt very ashamed of being in hospital or ashamed of having something you know difficulties problems with mental health um you know not able to talk about it with other people this idea that we have to offer this perfect veneer to society at all times <laughs> um, and um so i think just those cultural conditions are massive contributing factors to mental ill health let alone what's what's the root of it in the first place um i think it's it's magnified and compounded by that um and and I think if I were to tell people not involved in it what I was doing, there'd be a bit of like, ooh, the hospital, ooh, you know, a bit of kind of, whoa, what's that? And slightly kind of, sometimes people want to, you know, know some weird stories and say, oh, I'm not going there. And mm. um, there was, or, or the, you know, the fact that in the film media, a lot of the portrayals of people having mental ill health was as the psycho or, the, you know, the person who's going to, ruin everything for everybody else there wasn't so many sympathetic um portrayals of people either probably a lot of fear from the inside from people going through it and then fear from the outside of oh that's you know it's a mad person or they're going to you know something's going to happen mm. um mm. and how how was the discussion within even hospitals about um mental health obviously mm. you were in mental health hospitals but do you feel that there's been a shift with the conversations that you have with other people that work in the profession? Yeah. Um, I think, um, yeah, there's been a massive movement that's moved, um, you know, patients, for want of a better word, to the centre of the thing rather than, um, and their voice and experience, um, whereas I think before it was much, things were done to people um, for their own good and um there's much more of a conversation happening now um i think there was and what yeah what surprised me to start with um there was some wonderful staff who were very caring very on and there was some horrible staff who really you know would antagonize people and you know there'd be all these kind of power plays and and I, that surprised me to find that at the beginning um and i think that's getting less now I think it's not over, um, but I think there's there's been a big change and a shift there. Interesting. And how often did people speak about uh, mental health, both their own and more generally, did you find? Um, as in within the hospital or? Any aspect that, yeah, I mean, you would think perhaps in the hospital it was more frequently, but yeah. that could be a completely wrong assumption. Yeah. Um, I think, no, I think it did feel fairly present when I was working in hospitals. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of community workshops as well now that people can access there. Um, 
And I think very consciously at the start, um, when I was offering a lot of these workshops, it wasn't, the point wasn't to talk about our mental health. Um, it was to, it was the point of doing something positive, something constructive, again, looking at our abilities. Um, so I think I, I very intentionally pitched it that way. Because um, again, just because you have, you know, a particular condition doesn't mean you always want to make your art about it or or to write a song about it. Sometimes you just want to write a song or make some art. Or, um, so I think that was where I was coming from. But I think even then, things inevitably, you know, people will tell you something at the tea break or, or, you know, at least be honest. And we've always made it fine for people to be having a bad day and to choose not to do something or to, to be present, but, but kind of just there, um, you know, they don't have to put on a happy face or anything. Um, so yeah, I think, um, things would come into it like that. Um, I think, more widely yeah that there wasn't a conversation about mental health i think um if people were suffering they would generally suffer in silence and think like they were the only one and um until you know until it gets to the point where it becomes absolutely too much um yeah and i, I do see a change in that as well which is great. yeah so you see a change in the attitude of talking about it or about yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, and what do you think has contributed to to that change Ooh, um, I think um, hmm. I think it's been a really slow burn process a really slow and steady achievement I mean part of the um, I've been one of the biggest things I've been involved in or the longest duration has been a community-based drumming group called the Buddy Beat. Uh, and that's been going for about 12 years now. Um, so I think at the start, one of the biggest things that we did then would be to go out and perform in public. And um, sometimes people would know we were a mental health related drumming group. Sometimes we wouldn't. Sometimes we'd just be a drumming group. And I think for people's own sense of well-being, that was huge. Um, but then also increasingly being able to own up to people that we were a mental health based drumming group and to to have people identified by their skills and not by their illness but actually that's still part of it and that's fine as well you know it gradually gains more acceptance um to be visibly present in a public space um and um, you know so very kind of slowly 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 um i think things are helped enormously when there's well-known people who disclose their own struggles. I think it gives other people a lot more permission to be open about it. As a workshop leader, I think it's enormously helpful for me to be okay with sharing if I'm having a, a bad day or a difficult time. Um, so that there isn't this great idea of this, you know, perfect provider and then these grateful people who are receiving it. <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's so important, you know, to recognize we're all on a spectrum with it. And, you know, we all it's not like, oh, one third or, you know, however, what, what percentage of people might experience mental ill health. I think everybody does. Um, and I think we're we're getting towards a perception of that. Um, and the fact that actually talking, sharing, you know, disclosing stuff. I think there's been some very good national campaigns now as well. Um, 
that are really yeah opening people up to to having those kind of conversations um and there are things like the arts and film festival as well being a national focus for things and and more of that ability to to get things into the public space and have those those conversations and just going back to the buddy beat there that you mentioned so how did that come about and how did how did that start Sure. Um, well, this was a collaboration with Jeanette Allen, who was this first person to, to actually recognise that this was beneficial in the hospital space. And um, she had been to a conference about social inclusion. And it was just this idea that actually um, they kind of identified three spaces. So there's the kind of red zone, which is, you know, mental health activities in a protected mental health space. Then there's the kind of amber zone, which is mental health activities in a public space. Um, and then there's the green zone, which is just people participating in any kind of activity in, you know, in any kind of space. Um, and so this group was initially intended to be part of that bridge between the red and the green. Um, so I've been working in the hospital, um, but Jeanette really did want to start taking it out into the community. Um, with this theory that, okay, you know, somebody might discover drumming in the hospital, really like it, and then they might go along to their local samba group, but actually there's maybe still a bit of prejudice in that group or they're not used to relating to somebody. And so it does, it's not a good fit or it's not taught as accessibly. Um, so there's still a barrier to something that somebody's found a benefit to themselves. So is, is there a kind of halfway house? Mm. Um, so initially we, we it was going to run for six weeks to start with um in the um art center in paisley and so we did some work in the hospital and the idea was people could attend from hospital and once they were discharged keep going keep participating um but it did that thing of bringing people into a public space into an arts venue that they might not go into otherwise um and then also people can be referred from the community and access it there. So this was the, the idea of a mental health activity, but in a public space, in a regular kind of arts venue. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we had our first six weeks and, you know, four people came, <laughs> five people if we were lucky. So very, very small beginnings. Um, but we kind of hung in there and I think lots of things by word of mouth so people who'd been would tell somebody they'd met another group and um gradually you know Jeanette kept finding bits of money for it um, and kept it going for for quite a few years and then eventually constituted the group as a voluntary group so that they have a committee and start to run their own affairs more and mm -hmm. um, rather than being completely supported by the NHS mm -hmm. um and that's kind of where we've been ever since really um oh sorry no no go ahead <laughs> i was just going to say so at the start um were, was your role predominantly like workshop leader or were yeah. there other parts right okay and yes yeah did jeanette work uh kind of on the admin funding yeah. side of yeah and and there would be usually be two of us present at the start so initially it was jeanette and myself so jeanette brought her mental health specialist skills as an occupational therapist um, so she was there in case of any particular needs or, yeah. Um, and then as we went forward, she would assign one of her team, an occupational therapist, to, to be present in the group with me. So my job was really to provide the musical content and, um, and to keep that going for people. 
makes sense. Um, and uh, when did you decide to do the create it into a volunteer with the committee uh, system instead of it being run yeah. predominantly um, on the NHS? I'm not quite sure. I think it was probably about <laughs> three or four years down the line. Um, I think, and it took it took a lot of work to help people have the confidence to do it. Um, I think people were very scared that we would just be dropped or, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to get any funding. This was the end of it. Um, and so a lot of building up confidence and, and capacity in the group. I think when she first suggested it, there was outright like, oh, no, no way, no way. But yeah. Um, and so that, that kind of push to come become independent um, took its time mm. as well. And why was it that you decided to, to do that? Was there oh, a um, I think, well, for Jeanette, again, this idea that it's probably more empowering for the group to run themselves and not just have the handouts from the NHS or not constantly be, you know, held and, and just given things to, that actually to, to mm. step into that thing of being able to take more initiative, of own, taking ownership of something, um, that that was much better, more empowering practice. Um, than just giving stuff to folk and um, that actually, and, and what, what it's enabled is that, you know, there's people who in the group who've been there since day one, one person, she's like, she was the original member and she's still coming. Um, and because the group runs their own affairs, there's not that same pressure that, okay, you come on your six weeks course and then you go, and then, you know, the next lot of people come in that actually it can, be an arts activity that is part of somebody's identity that is about self-management and how they get through their week and that's not going to be taken away um and that that community has formed and they really built community with each other and support each other now um and there's many members of the group would say it's kept them from going back into hospital or um you know they've been able to get through more things by having this group of people around them that's been consistent and steady and, and relating mm. to each other um, and I think if it had remained in the NHS there would probably have been more of a pressure to do the six-week course or the 12-week course and and to keep moving people through. So it would be almost like a, a change in the long-term goal of, yeah. of the uh, course of the sorry of the classes. Yeah and so Previous to uh, Buddy Bear and maybe when you were still working within uh, a hospital environment, what sorts of arts and mental health community existed at that time um, with hospitals as well? In terms of community, not much at all, I don't think. <laughs> um, I, think the, I think the film festival was going, um, but... Yeah, I don't think that there was no kind of dialogue with other practitioners because there weren't many out there or every, you know, if there were, everybody was really in their own bunkers, just mm -hmm. trying, trying to do something in the context where they were at. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I knew of a friend working in Glasgow on a project, you know, two or three years into to it. And um, so we would talk to each other and, and share things. Um, but I think... Um, yeah, there was there wasn't really a sense of a peer group of, of people to relate to. So how did you or how have you found connecting with people within that community? Has it been a kind of steady growth or was it kind of boom one year everybody oh, <laughs> comes um, there? 
probably a bit of both. I think there's, there's, you know, I think there has been a slow and steady growth, but I think recently there's been a, an explosion um, and there's a, so much more interest, you know, mental health is cool now. <laughs> Everybody wants on the bandwagon. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I think both processes have been at work. Um, yeah. And so how did you find, I know you said there that you knew about your friend in Glasgow, so how did you meet them? Um, interesting. I think we first met at university and um, I think she, well, she invited me on to a mental health project that she was working on as well. So we ended up as work colleagues for a bit. Nice. Um, and then since then it's just been really nice to to have that sounding board and to be able to to compare notes as well um and do you find the community now as it's increased is one that likes to share a lot of information or is there maybe a lack um yes and no i think it yeah it can go both ways i think there can be a lot of um kind of everybody wants to say how good they are and how we've invented something <laughs> there's a lot of like let me tell you about my thing no let me tell you about my thing uh, and actually um, um and feeling like they've discovered it or like, <laughs> i'm not sure i should be saying this uh, and, um and but there's also some really genuine practitioners who actually are thinking well how could we do this better or how could we, yeah, um, even, yeah, share what we're doing, share what, yeah, ideas and practice. And um, so I, I do have a wee network of kind of collaborators who, yeah, feel are, are on similar lines in that, in that kind of sense. Um, that makes sense. Uh, how do you encourage people, um, particularly those with lived experience, to get involved? Um, I know you said earlier you were... Uh -huh. You were never pushing anybody, of course. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, I think we've done quite a lot of work in Buddy Beat, um, members making their own videos about their stories, um, which I think it's much more, it's so much more powerful than me as the workshop person saying, come along, this will be great. You know, there's much, much better hearing it from somebody else um, that's not me. Um, I think, yeah, I think word of mouth tends to be the the strongest. Um, and I think people still come with a big lack of confidence. Um, but I think once people arrive in a workshop, I think um, because music is such a process of actually doing things there in the moment, rather than, you know, creating something for a later date or, um, so it has to be about how we relate now. So, um, starting with things where you cannot fail um so to actually build up some confidence on something very very simple and um to i mean in a mixed group you know having people share or who felt really nervous on their first time or who felt like they weren't a drummer when they came and and you know i keep admitting that i find new groups really stressful and i you know i just like just you came through the door it's brilliant um and i really struggle with that um and then i think having had some success actually we do start looking at kind of resilience and ways to have kind of safe failure in a sense um 
so that we can try things and they might not work, but actually we try it again and it does work. Or, you know, you practice something and it's supposed to feel shit at the start because <laughs> it's a new thing. <laughs> and, and actually that we recognize that that's not a fault in us, that it feels hard and that that's a natural part of that process. It feels hard because we haven't done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make that really open and obvious and plain, um, I think to me feels important in, in helping people feel confident to carry on and, and proceed. And, and if we can start to build that muscle of being okay, not to be perfect at everything or for something not to go well the first time, or um, you know, that we work on things and, and we notice that actually we can do things now that we couldn't do at the start or mm-hmm. uh, to keep, to keep bringing that to light, I think. So is there a lot of communication within the group as well, discussion about trying something new as well as also just trying something new? Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. Okay. It tends to be a bit of a mixture of practical stuff and then, then a little bit of processing and thinking about it. And mm-hmm. Thinking about why did that work? Or what, what else could we do here? How can we change this so that, yeah, that it works better? Or those kind of things. And do you, discuss, uh, do you discuss failure and the concept of safe failure as well with the participants? Yes, yeah, yeah. How, how does that work? Um, it would tend to be if we've... Sometimes there's things in the setting up of a particular activity or exercise that says, oh, you know, it's all right if um, what you have in your brain doesn't come out through your hands at first. <laughs> so you're flagging that up as this might happen and that's all right. Um, and then at the end of it, um, you know, so we, we might do a drumming game or an exercise for five or 10 minutes. At the end of it, we usually do have a bit of a chat about, um, was there any bits that people found difficult within that? Um, why do you think that was? Um, did anybody else find a solution to that for themselves? Did that work? And, um, and so, so it's, it's that combination of some kind of activity and then a bit of verbal kind of processing around it. Um, and uh, what sort of people were you trying to reach uh, when you first started uh, Body Beat? Um, I mean, it was very broad, really. <laughs> Anybody within the, the, the mental health system. So we had people who were inpatients, people who were, um, you know, being seen in the community. Um, and, and to this day, it's a really broad range of people who attend. So there can be people with quite a high level of kind of support need um and then others who are now starting to run their own little drumming groups and um so it's, it's a huge spectrum of people that turn up and different ages i think um our youngest people have been in their early 20s and the oldest in their 70s um it's quite gender balanced now um so it, it it's a massive spectrum and social backgrounds people come from really really different social backgrounds um I think we've just been lucky, really, that's <laughs> um, ended up that way. And when you first um, kind of were right, trying to reach anybody and uh, to, to come to the group, what were your key messages when you discussed the group with them? Um, that's a good question. I think, I mean, a lot of, originally a lot of it was through kind of referral to the NHS. So you know, that the team would would know and identify particular individuals and talk to them about it first. Um, Quite often, 
other people would identify somebody who already had an interest in music um, and was open to it. And for me, I was like, oh, yes, but, you know, because I believe everybody can do music um, and that you don't have to be musical to, to do one of these things. Um, and that's that's still a, a battle that I'm working on. <laughs> um, so I, th I think a lot of people who would have kind of encouraged people to, to come to us would have would have hinged on somebody's love of music. Um, for me, if I was talking to somebody, I would be saying it's a great way to be in a group of other people where you don't have to talk, but you can still feel like you're part of something, like you're engaging with people. Um, I would say it's it's a confidence builder um, because you don't have to be great to start off with and very quickly you get quite good results. You know, within five or ten minutes, people can be sounding like they're part of a rocking band. Um, which I think you couldn't do with violins or recorders. Or, um, <laughs> so I think it does build confidence. Um, and yeah, it's a really, it's an enjoyable activity. But I think the, for me, the biggest thing is always the social, but it's not always what I would say at the start. I would say it's really fun. Uh, mm. Mm. That's interesting. So, um, and how, so the advertising part of it, obviously you're speaking about there, about how you would speak to people about it, but um, did you use sorry well I know you used NHS as well keep pulling everything together that you were saying but uh, previous to that you were probably not using social media as frequently as what you would maybe use now how would it yeah. how would you get that word out there to maybe not as not people that were in contact with the NHS as frequently as some yeah. of the other people and um, I think at the start it was very very organic actually right. we didn't do a lot of putting up posters and things that actually it did really work with um you know referrals from the ot team in the nhs and then actually referrals from other members so they would talk to somebody they'd met and say why don't you try this i've been really enjoying it and so actually so group numbers just grew very slowly mm -hmm. um but progressively and it um then we might do something like we do a performance at a mental health conference and a couple of people might see us um a lot of the actual coming back to me now um i think the the experience has been the best thing that communicates it to people so often it would be the thing of right going back into hospital and doing a workshop and and then letting people know that there's something they can access in the community um i think certainly to start with the idea of just saying come to a drumming workshop or putting up a poster people wouldn't even go there I think it had to be that thing of meeting people personally in some environment of offering them that experience, um, which they then think, oh, right, I didn't know I wanted that, but actually I do. And I'm, I'm going to go along and, and participate in that. Uh, sense. Yeah. And so uh, you mentioned about the, the funding and uh, Jeanette being part of that. And it was mainly from the NHS. Was there anybody else that you would be getting funding from? Um, at the start, for a few years, it was just the NHS. Then I think lottery funding has been really helpful to us. Um, also, Renfrewshire Council, um, local area committee funding. Um, and then I think, is it called Foundation Scotland now? Um, that's been most of the places where we've um, applied for money and received money from um, this last year we had our biggest ever grant from the health and social care alliance um, which was great and that's allowed us to try and nurture and start up a couple of new groups 
and do that mentoring for them and train a, a workshop leader and, mm. um, and encourage the participants maybe on along that lines to try and constitute their own groups as well um, and it's how been an ongoing struggle like it's always been year by year or you'll have a few months and you know there's been months where it's been a you know a, a well-wisher has given us a couple of thousand pounds and that's helped us continue on a bit and sometimes I've been doing things for nothing just to keep it going in between times and mm. um, it's been very very hand-to-mouth I think so was it difficult at the at the start to get the funding then? Yes, yeah, it was a big hurdle for us. Um, even just that process of applying for funds um, and not quite knowing how much to ask, you know, how to budget, all of these kinds of things. Um, it's a lot of different skills. And uh, what were some of the differences in how you access funding now? during uh, the period of, well, the starting period of Buddy Beat or perhaps some of the work you did within the hospitals? Um, hmm. I think we're, we're less afraid to ask for a bit more money now. <laughs> I think at the start we felt like, you know, every little thing had to be, you know, offered at the lowest possible rate and the cheapest possible thing. And we had, to, you know, um, and I think yeah just get, gathering that courage to 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 ask for enough money for somebody to support the administrative side of it as well and um i think we're we're gaining confidence there um and probably yes to know how to kind of package things for people so that it fits the criteria of the funder um and how that works and and, and how what we offer might dovetail with something that doesn't that might not look like it's kind of arts based to start with but actually I mean a bit like the alliance um funding that we had this year wasn't overtly arts based but actually what we had was definitely um you know it was to do with self-management and um with the long-term conditions and actually that fit very well with that and fit very squarely with it so it's, it's being a bit more imaginative as well um because because I'm from an arts background rather than a health and social care background that was a big leap to, to start to look further afield at different places. How do you find uh, audiences react to to the groups when they perform? Um, really well, yeah. I think um, from the start, we've always had a philosophy of not just doing a performance, so people sit back and watch the the mental people do the <laughs> um, But actually, you know, we'll do we'll perform and learn a piece that lasts about two or three minutes and um, because it's still it's a big demand on people's attention and skill to um to do that um and then actually from that move into something where we involve the whole audience in making music because i think it does that thing from taking people you know from being the spectators and that barrier between us and them to mm. actually being the participants between experiencing something from the inside and maybe realizing how that works for them and it makes them feel a bit happier um, but also that divide between, you know, the spectators and the people who are presenting it. I much prefer to to bring people together um, and to kind of level that that playing field a bit more. And it's been lovely in some, you know, we've done some quite big NHS conferences and somebody looked out from the stage at the SECC and saw one of their psychotherapists in the front row and suddenly 
you know, they were the powerful one and, the, you know, the press in the front rows all at sea and, and not knowing quite what to do. And it was nice to, for that bit of role, role reversal to happen. And uh, how easy was it to meet the, the goals of the group that you'd set out with at the start if there was something specific that you had in mind? Um, hmm, I think re relative, relatively, I think we're, we're still... I think even now we're still kind of doing what we set out to do at the start um, and still maintain a link with the NHS. Um, and it's funny, we've never, we've always, you know, for years now we've, we've had about 25 people relating to the, the group and some come and some go and some stay. And um, so far we've never been overwhelmed or, you know, or had to draw a line around things or, um, occasionally we've tried, you know, we've, we had a monthly workshop for a while and that ran its course. And um, so there's been various little initiatives that come and gone, but the, actually the core group's been very stable. And um, occasionally we've had to re, kind of redraw the boundaries in a sense, because sometimes, you know, word gets out for a different kind of client group. And they're like, great, we can bring all our service users to this. There you go. And it's like, oh, actually, this is still a mental health group. And to help to help our members kind of understand that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that we don't drift too far from our original purpose. Um, so that there would have been one of your challenges. But was there anything else that sticks out to you as a, a, a challenge that you've had with um, keeping the group together? Or um, just we, were, we weren't really hard on relationships within the group um, and um, and remaining open to other people and to new people. Right. So I think it could periodically be very easy for the group to draw themselves in and just be with pals and do the thing together. Um, and so continually we've invited visitors and other people, you know, to come in and be present. So it doesn't get to be this clique um, and yeah, behavior that might undermine that, in, you know, if people talking badly about each other or gossiping. So I, I'm kind of on that quite quickly. <laughs> see many other groups implode and it's like not on my watch. <laughs> um, and, and I think the drumming helps with that because it is about relating and cooperation. And, um, th and there's a lot done about accepting people, you know, people who display wildly different behavior patterns and actually um, you know, it can wind some other group members up and it's actually, let's be compassionate towards each other because, you know, at some point we've all been somewhere where we've done something embarrassing or, yeah. um, but it's, that's a continuous process of, um, of really choosing and choosing again and choosing again to, to nurture positive relationships within the group and not fall into habits of, yeah, cliqueiness or, you know, just certain friendship groups forming and, um, Mm -hmm. particularly in a long-running group I think um, that makes sense um, and so why do you think it's important that mental health is covered in the arts <coughs> I think I think the arts are medicine for mental health really um, I think whether there's anything diagnosable or not I think everybody goes to a concert or the cinema to make ourselves feel better you know so, um, and I think so I think it's actually great if we if we more explicitly realize that link. And I think even now in kind of coronavirus times, it's fascinating to see how much people are waking up to 
you know, creative things, music, you know, making things at home, even things like gardening, a lot of these activity based things that actually were forgotten about for quite a while that it was about you had to purchase your ticket to the spectacle or you had to you know it's quite passive forms of entertainment and consumption and i think there's a shift back again to realize that actively doing things and things that bring us to con we're starting to value relationships again mm -hmm. um and community and all these things i think there's a turning back to that um and i think the arts has such a lot to offer that um and to nurture that and it, you know this these are this is our medicine in a sense what do you think that the mental health community can give to the arts community i know obviously this whole discussion is about how they cross over but yeah. uh -huh. just kind of flipping that question there back on its head mm. i think um authenticity um in terms of being able to be who you are um and acknowledge the you know difficulties that all of us have in doing that i think um i think when i meet arts practitioners who haven't worked in this field and who maybe start dipping a toe in it they suddenly realize this huge bigger world um and they start to realize another deeper layer to the arts as well um you know from just being the performance or just being the creation they start to make that connection um that it is about who we are as people and how we relate to each other and how we relate to ourselves. Um, so I think, I think it, yeah, I think it definitely goes in both directions. Um, and yeah, I think the more we dialogue with our own mental health, the, the better artists we become and the better practitioners we become. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think it's a lot. How has the arts contributed to the way that we view mental health more generally, do you feel? Um, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's lots that can happen. There's so many different ways it can work. So there can be things like, you know, arts can just communicate that message, you know, so a film that deals very sensitively with mental health issues in a way that, that actually people want to watch and they don't feel like they're being preached at or... Um, I think that's hugely powerful. You know, even soap operas that have a storyline um it can hugely do that communication and destigmatization side um i think witnessing arts produced by somebody who might be struggling can all can all communicate their reality um mm. and help people to develop more empathy and um kind of acknowledgement of people even just or even just somebody's identity as an artist and not just somebody suffering with a condition or experiencing difficulties um i think that yeah there's so many ways that that can that can pan out mm -hmm. and is there a way you think we can use arts to uh, combat stigma and discrimination from the public about mental health yeah i think all, all the time um, I think, um, there's i mean there's loads just about being more present and more visible um and um there's uh there's lots about communicating yeah communicating things from the inside again being unapologetic um make just being being open and having that disclosure as well um seeing that it's still a community of people with great skill on their own terms and things to offer um and it's not that they have people have to be particularly helped or you know or that kind of thing um 
it's you know like like any kind of oppressed community it's it's, it's people's voices people standing up for themselves um people having a bit of a collective voice sometimes as well mm. um and yeah looking at skills based and that actually people have a lot to offer um not just to receive um so from working within the arts and the mental health uh arena or community that's the one i'm looking <laughs> for the whole time it's gone and um, do you find that when you look back um on art that you've maybe enjoyed yourself it gives you a different perspective on it oh um hmm. Yeah, I mean, yes, <laughs> a really good question. It's not one I really thought about before. I think there's some really specific stuff about, um, I think even in the music world, and I think more starts to come to light about, you know, musicians in the past who've been going through things themselves and even classical composers. And sometimes there's actually even knowing things about the clinical presentation or the way things occur and actually being wow it, it does actually it throws a whole new light on the thing that you're experiencing that's been created um but i also think there's a huge thing that happens i suppose with any life when you go through a crisis that it opens you up in a different way um and it's back to that authenticity thing um that we're forced to look at ourselves more um and to to deal with that and um so i think and so actually a lot of people or a lot of artists would have had experiences somewhere along that continuum um and that's what you know offers that drive to create or to express or to to do those kinds of things mm. um but i think that's a really good question i'm not sure if i've got a concise answer for it <laughs> no, that's fine well now kind of throwing forward how would you like the relationship between mental health and arts in scotland to develop in the next five to ten years mm. well my dream is that it actually becomes properly legitimized and recognized and um things like i think social prescribing is great um that that idea um and i see lots of money going into link workers and people that refer people to things i don't yet see lots of money going into the actual activities themselves um, so um, <laughs> the dream would be that that would be something that was that was absolutely supported and funded and recognized as something that's vital to to our mental health and well-being mm -hmm. um and that link is really explicitly made and solid and, and supported I don't know whether that'll happen in the next five years. <laughs> but nice to think about it. <laughs> um, that's me going through the majority of those questions. Um, but is there anything that you feel that we didn't touch on that you would like to uh, discuss and go back over? Or um, is there any questions that I maybe didn't, you know, push yeah. you on that you feel there's something you'd like to mention about? Um... No, no, I, I feel, I feel quite, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, lot, if, got to let if, out. Yeah. <laughs> if anything comes up in yeah. the, you know, the rest of the day or uh, over the weekend or that, feel free to get back in touch with uh, Ailey yeah. and we can set up another quick interview or Great. even mm -hmm. if it was something you wanted to type out, 
I'm sure right. Ailey would be happy with anything. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's me then. Thank oh, you very thank much you. for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thanks for being such a good interviewer. I really, uh, no, you've really enjoyed really good talking questions. to you. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> <I> enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs>